Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast. Join us in our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Sue, and thanks for tuning in. With me today is my co-host, Andy. Hello. And our guest, Anna. Hey. Anna, uh, would you like to introduce yourself and tell our listeners where they might have seen you before? (laughs) Yeah, um, I guess if they've seen me before, it's probably through social media or at Vegas or Mission Chicago as the salt sucker cosplayer. That was a big thing for me (laughs) as far as people going, that was you? Oh, okay. But as other than that, I am a member of Lambda Quadrant, which is a queer focused group about Star Trek, but media representation in general, specifically focusing on the queer community and representation where it's lacking and where it's good. And that's what we're talking about today specifically asexuality and aromantic characters in Star Trek, or the asexual or aspec umbrella. But before we get there, we do have some housekeeping to do first, as usual. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 per month and get some great rewards from thanks on social media up to some silly watch-along commentaries and some non-Trek podcast episodes. Visit us at patreon.com slash women at warp. If you're looking for podcast merch, you can check out our Tee Public store. There are tons of designs with new ones being added all the time and on so much more than just t-shirts. You can find that at tpublic.com slash stores slash women at warp. And our convention patches and enamel pins are also available online at women at warp.com slash shop. All of those links are also available just by going to women at warp.com. And we have now two giveaways happening at the same time. The first one is the New York Comic Con exclusive Murph plushie giveaway that is still going on. The giveaway is open to everyone, no matter where you live. Just email us at crew at womenatwarp.com and tell us what you're looking forward to in the second half of the first season of Star Trek Prodigy. We also now have three copies of Dr. Aaron McDonald's new board book for kids ages 2+. plus called My First Book of Space, to give away to listeners. To enter this giveaway, send us an email and tell us your favorite episode of Trek that features a spatial anomaly. For this one, you do need to have a U.S. address to enter the giveaway. For both giveaways, the entry deadline is midnight Eastern on Sunday, November 6th. You can enter both, but please send separate emails. Each valid entry goes into a different hat or folder, for that specific giveaway, and winners will be chosen at random. If you only send one email, it can only go into one hat. All right, so asexuality and Star Trek, or the ace umbrella in Star Trek, because I don't want to leave anybody out. Seeing as we're the A, we often get tossed back behind that plus sign. (laughs) I'm ace. Anna, you're ace. Yeah, I'm I'm more gray than strictly ace, but I tend to use ace as a uh, short term. Just because people tend to just go, well, what is that? And I don't feel like giving them a dissertation every single day. <laughs> yeah, I, I often use queer just because it's easier. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, the, the other part of my identity is that I'm bi. So it I'm bi and ace and I find that it's just very much easier to just say I'm queer. I, I, I have used to say, and I still say it often, is that everyone's hot, but please don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that so much. <laughs> and before I even properly came out, 
I'd come out to people in my life, but not really any more formally than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to say my uh, sexuality was the shrug emoji. <laughs> um, yeah. So just very like, all right, we're just vibing. Leave me alone. Yeah. I'm the emotional support bisexual that was assigned to Sue. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's so real. It is. <laughs> the bi-ace solidarity is very good as two identities that I think get overlooked a lot within the queer community even. Yeah, for sure. Bi and ace and bi and trans are like yeah. B and J. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true. So talking about being like bi and ace, I, if I'm entirely honest, I have an even longer demi-pan-romantic asexual. Um, yeah. <laughs> those, yeah. those descriptors are examples of what we, when we get into it, we call the split attraction model. But a little bit more on that in a minute, because I feel like we should hit some definitions. And mm-hmm. the thing about definitions, especially inside the queer community, is that they aren't a test, they're tools. So they might not be exact yes. for everyone who identifies this way, but they help us to to find these communities. I think the first thing when we're talking about the ACE umbrella is that there are different types of attraction. There's sexual attraction, romantic attraction, aesthetic attraction, and sensual attraction. There are probably more, but those are the main four <laughs> yeah. that people talk about. And an asexual person in general is someone who does not or rarely experiences sexual attraction. And a romantic person is someone who does not or rarely experience romantic attraction. And for a lot of people who are not part of this community, it's really hard to break those things apart. Especially when, um, even just when it comes to asexuality, they don't understand the difference between asexuality and celibacy, mm-hmm. which, you know, celibacy is your choice to abstain, whereas asexuality is like a g- genuinely not having the urge. And then, and then the discussion of like, oh, well, are you traumatized? Uh-huh. Are you, and it's like, well, no, if you're so sex averse or sex repulsed, that's a different thing that doesn't even necessarily mean you're ace that can, that can come from trauma or it can just be your natural aversions, but it really varies. And some aces are sex repulsed, but some are fully like, like to me, I have so many friends who have like the wildest kinks and things like that. And I'm like, just tell, I'm fascinated. You can tell me it all. <laughs> I'm fascinated. You're, to me, it's like you're, I'm, it's like anthropological. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know what it is, but, and it's, it's, there's no repulsion. It's just more like, wow, I don't want to see it, <laughs> but, I'd be but I, I'll yeah. hear about it. I'm fascinated. <laughs> the analogies that I think we use the most often are when it comes to food. Yeah. Where there's like the act of eating, there is hunger, and then there is like knowing that something tastes good, <laughs> I guess. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah. in this thing, like a libido would be hunger itself. Sexual attraction would be hunger for a specific food. Mm-hmm. Eating the food is the act of sex. <laughs> you know, there's, yeah. And, you know, no analogy is perfect. So it breaks down at some point. But yet there's nobody's experience of, of asexuality is the same. There are, there are sex repulsed aces. There are sex favorable aces. There are, but be, being asexual itself does not mean that somebody is abstinent or celibate. That's not the same thing. 
I also think that there's, like many things in the queer community, a spectrum. So I know when I was first kind of coming to my bisexuality for a while, I was identifying as biromantic because I was like, no, that makes sense. Like, I, I am romantically attracted to women, but am I sexually attracted to women? And, le- and then, then mm-hmm. it was, I saw a specific woman and I was like, yes. <laughs> Yes, I am. And it's kind of funny that we're talking about this with Sue because it was literally on the way to the airport to see Sue. And I saw this woman with the coolest Mm -hmm. ankle boots and amazing hair. And she like smiled at me and I was like, Oh oh, oh, my God. And then I got to, I got to New York City and, um, uh, saw Sue and I was like, I swooped, Sue. I swooped. You know what I mean? Swoop. And she was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> For me, it was uh, Janelle Monet. Oh, yeah. That made me go, yeah, this is more than just liking, they're just thinking women are pretty. Mm-hmm. Yes. There are lots and lots of identities that fall under the A-spec umbrella. But I think the two others that we hear the most frequently are demi or demisexual or demi-romantic, which is Mm -hmm. someone who only experiences sexual attraction or romantic attraction after an emotional bond has been formed. And then gray, gray romantic or gray sexual or gray asexual may experience attraction rarely under specific circumstances or of a low intensity. And as I, I mentioned previously, when we break it down like this, it's what is referred to as the split attraction model, mm-hmm. where your romantic attraction may be different from your sexual attraction. Yeah. And then uh, speaking on gray, because I should add <laughs> someone who's gray, um, I like I always describe it as like the few times I get aroused, I'm genuinely surprised. <laughs> I'm like I'm like almost offended by my body. I'm like, what? We don't do this. <laughs> I think what's, I don't know if interesting is the right word, different mm-hmm. about the, the ace community. And I, I am using ace as the umbrella term here. So mm-hmm. just making that clear um, <laughs> is that we're, we're defining ourselves by a lack of something, which mm. I mean, just starting from that position is unusual. Yeah. We're almost forced to identify with these labels. By the fact that our society is so uh, sex obsessed, and then it's it's it kind of sucks because sometimes within the queer community, people say, "Well, because you're being defined by a lack of something, or almost like you're you know you're not being oppressed, uh-huh. or or like you're not really queer." I have issues with the idea that a, like an intrinsic part of being queer is oppression. No thanks. But I think it's also inaccurate to say that asexuals do not face oppression or discrimination yeah it's different i think than than several other queer identities but that doesn't mean it can't be harmful you know i mean i when you grow up with everyone around you and the media around you and everything telling you that like you're gonna fall in love and get married and and go through these certain steps of life and then you don't have 2.5 kids you're gonna yeah white picket fence yeah and you so many ace people describe themselves as feeling broken specifically using that word broken 
before like finding the community before figuring out their identity and that's that's incredibly harmful and also like i would love to love to be in a relationship and dating is has this other difficult element and the amount of times i felt pressured like i should have sex with someone so that way i could potentially find love is really upsetting it's difficult too if you're trying to form a relationship with an aloe person or someone who is not ace. Yeah. The opposite of ace is aloe, A-L-L-O. So often the way the allosexual community forms relationships is in a almost a different order. Yeah. Or like doesn't understand how a relationship could work if sex isn't involved in it. They understand celibacy. Right. As but they don't understand that they've just never wanted. And then there's also like People will almost comfort me. Like, well, you'll find someone someday. Right. It's like, no, <laughs> if I wanted <laughs> to have sex, I'd get it very easily. Right. It's not about waiting for the right person. It's not about being a late bloomer. It's not about being afraid or ugly or sick or having a hormone imbalance. Yeah. Yeah. I had for for quite a long time just used either too busy or not currently interested <laughs> Which is if somebody, yeah. uh, like, especially a family member, are you dating anybody? No. No. Yeah. Thank you. I'm too busy. <laughs> I found the term and definition of asexuality through Tumblr in my, I think, late 20s. And I was like, oh, it makes a yeah. ton of sense now. And this is, the, the, for that exact reason, that's why I defend labels. Like, I know not everybody yeah wants them or uses them or feels the need to apply them to themselves. But when you're somebody who feels out of place and you find a word that resonates with you, automatically you know that there are enough other people who experience that, that there's a word for it, which also means that there's a community for it. So let's talk about television. <laughs> yeah. What we're here for. I want to talk a little bit, just a, a smidge, about representation in media in general, and then specifically mm-hmm. about Star Trek. There's there's not a lot of its yeah. representation in, in specifically television and film media. Yeah. The one that I know gets talked about a lot is Bojack Horseman, or what's yeah. the character's name? Jeff? And there are a couple from some more recent, like, streaming shows but our mainstream television doesn't doesn't have it. And when it does, I'm thinking about, I don't know, characters like Sheldon from The Big Bang Theory. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I have to sigh when I talk about that show. But <laughs> yeah, no, we all do. Where they they even they even made the like mitosis asexual reproduction joke about Sheldon. And then also he went on to have a romantic and i believe sexual relationship with a female character later on that's what happens right when we think about sheldon or like jughead on riverdale right they start out with like real ace vibes right and Mm -hmm. then go on so that their character development involves a relationship yeah and it's presented in such a way that, as we were saying before, have being in a relationship does not negate somebody's asexuality, but it's presented in a way 
that like they're a better person now because they have found their sexuality. And that's the that's the problem. <laughs> or they were unfulfilled. I wanted to talk about um in Sherlock, BBC's Sherlock. He specifically kind of texted Irene Adler back and Watson or John is uh says something like she's out there she likes you and she's alive and do you have the first idea how lucky you are just text her back and then he Sherlock says as I have explained to you many times before romantic entanglement while fulfilling for other people and then John cuts him off and says would complete you as a human being and I was like that is so asphobic (laughs) And sure, you could say, well, they didn't intend Sherlock to be asexual. But on the DVD commentary of the very first episode of Sherlock with Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat, they specifically call Sherlock Holmes asexual. They specifically say, oh, well, he's asexual in the novels and he's asexual in our show. They specifically say it. And they continued to say it to the point where that in a 2014, I think it was an L article. Yeah, it was an L magazine, I believe. Um, Benedict Cumberbatch was asked about it. And he said he's asexual for a purpose, not because he doesn't have a sex drive, but because it's suppressed to do his work, which that's not asexuality, that's celibacy. And so it's it's this blatant misunderstanding what asexuality actually is. And they, there were people at cons, there were people on the internet saying like, hey, that's not what Ace is um, for years. And then, you know, flash forward to like 2017, I believe, when the episode came out and they're not only, you know, not, not only are they, it just, it just sucks that they had John Watson literally just saying like, oh yeah, a romantic entanglement would complete you as a human being. It's like, no. That's <laughs> that's not how life works. You don't need romance or sex to complete who you are. But yet, that's the message we get from all angles. That's that's all mirrors. So even when you think you might be getting some ace representation, we often get stabbed in the back. There's also an infamous episode of House where a, yes. a woman <laughs> is pretending to be asexual because she wants to marry an asexual man. But of course, our... Dr. House uh, laughs it off and tries to prove that there is no such thing as asexuality. That's not real. And it turns out this man has a brain tumor that is causing his, causing, quote unquote, his asexuality. So, you know, just great stuff all around. Hashtag sarcasm. (laughs) (laughs) The discussion so often about asexual characters, like, is people, because we have no explicit ace representation in Trek, we have interpretations. But whenever mm-hmm. that conversation starts up, there are people who chime in to say, well, that character can't be ace because they're interested in this other character, or they've had relationships, or they make jokes about sex. I've even seen that character can't be ace. I find them attractive. Yeah. That doesn't make a ton of sense. Yep. That character can't be ace. They're normal. That has been said yeah. too, but that's that's not what it is. It's not what any of this. Not how any of this works. Yeah. <laughs> we get into Trek, and I think yes, the first several characters that come to mind all sort of fall into the same category. 
of mm. what I think of as the others or the Spock yes. archetype. Spock, Data, Odo, and Seven are outsider yeah. characters <laughs> on our, our first four series. You know, these are all characters who, interestingly, are also often seen as autistic representation. And yeah. the the commonality here is that these are the traits that they exhibit that make people interpret them these ways are intended to make them less than human or at least other than human. And that's not great. Yeah. It's not, it's not great for the autistic community or the ace community at the same time. Like I, I especially understand, you know, it's, it's good in the sense of like, when you can see yourself in a character, that's so important. So as long, you know, and I know many people who are autistic and who are ace who are like, I have read these characters as asexual and I'm like, that's cool. As long as you're the one doing it. Um, it's when other people are like, Oh, uh, maybe the reason they're, you know, not human like is because they don't like sex. You know, it's like, all right, well that's problematic. I had uh, never thought about this scene in this way before, but I was, you know, in doing some research of, well, reading articles, watching YouTube and a YouTuber uh, named Rowan Ellis points out that, in the measure of a man, when Picard is asking about Data's relationship with Tasha, what he's doing is using Data's sexual history to give validity to his personhood. And yeah, he's claiming he's sentient. Like, oh, look at that. He even has sex. Even though, like, I think it would have been more valuable to be like, look at how even though he knows that she's dead, he's not disclosing something that she asked him not to tell. You know, because he was like, I promise not to tell her. And then he's like, I think Yar will understand, which like, fair enough. But it's like, why is why is that important? And he's just kind of like, listen, I, whereas I think what would prove his sentience more so would be the fact that he's making the decision to say, no, I, in her, to kind of respect her memory, I'm not going to say something that she didn't want shared. The other thing about Data is so many of his storylines kind of kind of circle around learning how to become human and exploring humanity. And a lot of that can be art-based um, and just exploring emotions. But the the episodes in which he's like specifically exploring romantic and sexual situations or attraction have always kind of, I, I don't know, I don't find it as interesting as when he's trying to learn how to do Shakespeare. I'll say that. <laughs> yeah. Because it, it very much feels like he can still be human and not want to have a sexual or romantic relationship. I, I will say I do kind of like the episode where he has a girlfriend. I forget its name off the top of my head. In theory, I believe. In theory. I like that episode in a way of like, he just like, it's an undeniable fact. He doesn't have any interest in dating her and i kind of felt it was i mean i feel like the framing of the episode needed to be changed but i think there's this like interesting thing of like everyone around him is well i mean jordy's kind of like oh i don't know i mean i don't know if she's ready i mean unless she is ready <laughs> which like i kind of like that jordy's like i'm not gonna tell you what, what to do i'm just gonna tell you that it's complicated <laughs> Uh, and he's actually having a conversation with him like a regular friend rather than like being like, but Data, you're an android. Uh, you can't, you know, and that he's actually like, well, I don't know if she's emotionally ready. I liked that. But the fact that she knows that he, you know, one of the number one things he talks about all the time is that he doesn't have emotions. 
And the fact that she knows that and that she's going to just kind of be like, hey, I know that, but we want to date anyway. To me, I it felt very similar to uh, how a lot of ace people get treated. And then that's the exact reason she breaks up with him. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, of course that didn't work out. <laughs> I'm like, I guess, I don't know. Sometimes people like watch that episode and they're like, at the end, they're like, oh, I felt bad for her. And I'm like, no. <laughs> like, I don't know. That was kind of predatory. I'm not about her. You know, I I think, honestly, I think Data went into it exactly as he should have. He was like, this is an experiment, I guess. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm going to try writing a program. I'll be testing out a bunch of things. Oh, we're breaking up. Well, then I'll delete this. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, honestly, what a, what a, what a baller move, man. Nice, bro. <laughs> like, um, it's, but the framing of the episode, you know, is wrong. I feel like the audience views it and goes, oh, it's so tragic that he like couldn't find love with this one woman who is blatantly misunderstanding who he is as a person. <laughs> Well, there's two things here that I want to touch on. One is that I feel like in in relationships and episodes like that where they're like they tell you how it is and then you're like mad that it that's how it is. Uh they, yeah. what they what they what they're hoping for is they will be the one to like save you, right? Like they will be the I one. Could change him. Yeah, I I could fix him, right? Yeah. So she's she's 100% he's like, "Hey, I don't feel emotion." She's like, "Oh, Okay, but she doesn't really believe it. She be- she thinks yeah. that she will be able to fix him and make him feel emotions towards her. Yeah, it's disrespectful. I actually think that Data has emotions. I don't know if he, I, I, I buy that he has romantic or sexual emotions, but he doesn't need to be fixed, I guess is the point. And yeah. um, I think that episodes like that and like framings like that say way more about like the people writing them and what their um, priorities are than than anything about like the like the character itself like the way you were describing like I don't I don't blame data for this 100% like data was just being data but they still both the characters within in the universe and the writers still think that it's important for data to explore this because it's like an uh, an important aspect of humanity like they connect those things in a way that don't need to be connected i guess yeah but anna you're right too though that she's this is a predatory relationship in a way because data is doing whatever he can whatever he thinks will make her happy right whether he he wants to do those things or not and that is a problem that can crop up when a, an ace person is in a relationship with a non-ace person, right? Cause, and yeah. that bleeds over into coercion. And that's why really open communication is absolutely necessary. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's disrespectful at its core. I mean, it's it's the same as if a woman were to say to a gay man, well, let's just try it. You know, like we're to be like, let's just try a relationship and a gay man who is has been pressured by society his whole life to say to, you know, maybe you'll just meet the right woman. It's, you know, then he he tries to have a relationship and then she gets mad at him because he's not interested in her. Like it's it's the same situation. Um honestly, I don't know who works at HR of Starfleet, but <laughs> Oh, we have had we have thought about that very much. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, Troy's like their closest and she doesn't do a great job. No. <laughs> uh, but in those types of storylines, there's a lot of similarity with what Seven went through in Voyager yeah. specifically, especially when the, the crew is sort of like pressuring her, her to go on dates and she's in the holodeck practicing and going through the motions. And I think at the time, a lot of folks read her as having a lot of ace characteristics. I think looking back on it now with what we've seen in Picard, we can mm-hmm. take the reading that, well, these relationships weren't working because they were heteronormative relationships, perhaps. Yeah. Or also, maybe she just wasn't ready to start dating. Yeah. Like, <laughs> girl only found out what her name was, like, you know, <laughs> recently. Like, maybe she's dealing with stuff. And that's the whole, like, you know, I, I definitely, especially with Picard, read her as someone who is at least, obviously, she's interested in women. That's canon. Whether or not it's exclusively women, you know, who knows. But the it's very predatory the way they treat uh, Seven as well, the pressure. Yeah, and there's an interesting take in a piece actually on uh, published on the Women at Warp blog by Claire Rosemary, who wrote, An asexual seven could have swerved into the territory of blaming the Borg for her lack of sexual attraction, framing it as something the Borg robbed from her, either directly in the narrative or interpreted as such by viewers, furthering the notion of asexuality being abnormal, wrong, or something to be fixed. Yeah, like a trauma. And it's just... There are so many different ways to interpret these things, it's, which makes this part of the queer community something that's kind of pretty difficult to portray. Yeah. Not saying it's not. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think it's true. And then we wanted to talk about Odo For as sure. well. And even just like this is this is a trope that I see a lot with characters who previously baby were written as ace, but then as we've discussed, they suddenly now have to have relationships. A lot of them will, like, lose their virginity almost to a random character before they can, like, end up in a, like, committed relationship. I don't know if that's just, like, if there's this element of, like, they want them to be practiced. Odo is a character who, like, he's shown really no sexual interest ever. They established that he had some romantic interest in Kira but not any sexual interest and then they had that episode where there was the woman who you know didn't know she was like a sleeper agent and it's like you know to i hate this term but to like to use it it's almost like the writers were like oh good now he's popped his cherry and it's like and that was it, like that seemed to be the whole point of that episode was for him to learn about what sex was <laughs> and then it was kind of like all right now he's going to get with Kira and, you know, they, they had him sleep with the other uh, changeling. They had him have sex with the other changeling. And that was like a distinct scene where um, the changeling's like, ah, so that's how, you know, solids have intimacy. It's a pale comparison to the Great Link. And she's immediately disparaging sex. And he's like, you know, it, it, it can be pleasurable. And it's it, it felt like it was almost like, see, villains. Like, like see, look at how weird this, you know, this uh, founder is. She, like, doesn't, she doesn't get sex. She's, and she's trying to convince Odo that, like, we're gross for having sex. And it even then felt a little like, all right. <laughs> I kind of would have loved it if Odo was like, no, it's gross. But, like, you know, 
(laughs) Even when he and Kira are in their relationship, I don't, maybe it's just my reading, but I don't see the two of them as really being overtly sexual as much as they are like sensual yeah i mean we see him like giving her massages and maybe that's because it's on 90s network television but he does 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 he also do the thing where he like touches her and goes liquid on her i know he does that on the his first sexual partner that one woman where he just is kind of like well the great link is kind of like this and then he just and then the woman just goes like oh he like light beams at her at one point yeah Um, i know he does like a shimmer over kira but honestly it's in discussions of odo that i have seen you know people on the internet get the most mad if if you say like i relate to odo as an asexual person people are like but he had a relationship with kira like yes and (laughs) that doesn't necessarily negate an asexual identity yeah whereas i also like i'm sorry like you're you're okay with all you you think that it makes sense for all these other aliens to have been you know physically compatible to have had sex with like captain kirk or Riker or all these other things that makes more sense to you than maybe kira was an understanding partner (laughs) you know i mean like kira seems like to me, one of the ideal ace partners for an ace person, because she, you know, she does, you know, I think she does have sexual desire. I don't read her as being ace, but the the whole thing with like her being kind of attracted to O'Brien was like because because he was having these moments of talking to her intimately, and like they were having this intimate relationship in other ways. They were living together, they were joking, they were laughing, they were making talking about planning a trip to Ireland together, he's massaging her, but it wasn't sexual for them. And then, you know, so she can obviously have those affections outside of, you know, outside of sex, and she understands intimacy outside of sex. And, you know, Odo, we see a scene of Odo giving her a massage, and she's like, this is the life. <laughs> and it's great. Like, and I'm not saying they never had sex, I could definitely see that they might have. But it's just not a, you know, it's not something she's pressuring him to do. And it also wouldn't negate him being an asexual character. Correct. Yeah, that's that's very key. Like, as I always explain to people, like, it's not, as an ace person, like, it's not that I would never have sex. You know, it's more like, you do things with your partner all the time that maybe aren't necessarily your favorite thing but are their favorite thing, but also like you enjoy it because you enjoy doing it with them or something like people who take like pottery classes. Cause their spouse was like, Hey, let's do this. And you're like, I have no interest in pottery, but I want to do like a date night with you. You know, the important mm-hmm. thing is that there isn't the pressure and that there isn't the coercion. Exactly. And, and it can even be for ACE people to have like sex with their partner. That can even be pleasurable. Sure. You know, it's not like, Oh, it's not like you're, you can't it's not like the sickness of like oh this person can't orgasm or something like that right just because you don't feel the attraction doesn't mean that you don't necessarily feel sexual pleasure one thing that i wanted to kind of bring up was something that we see kind of with both spock and data are episodes in which either their or other people's inhibitions are lowered through some sort of drug in the in spock's case it was very much the the literal (laughs) pollen 
sex pollen yeah. that has spawned a million fanfics and then, you know, Data <laughs> Data and Tasha Yar having their good times. Yeah. But it it's almost like what would happen if we made Spock sexy and him wanting to be, him be all drunk and crazy and like, what if he was horny? Exactly. <laughs> Wouldn't that be wild? Like you know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. they definitely wanted to explore that, and the only way they could feel like they could do that was to uh, have a a flower pollen in his face, uh-huh. you know, which like. What I do like about that episode a lot, though, I will say, is, like, again, I found her predatory. And I don't think, I mean, I think the audience actually felt that she was predatory as well. Because he's, like, going off alone with her. And you're, like, I think as the audience, you're, like, oh, what's going to happen? You know? Like, you're, like, uh-oh. What is, what is she luring him to? And then, boom, he gets pollened. And I didn't, uh, <laughs> I don't know. I've, I have not had a conversation with someone who was, like, oh, you know, if only he'd stayed Polland. <laughs> no, I feel like I feel like everyone was like, "Yeah, that was villainous," and Kirk did the right thing by getting him cured by pissing him off. <laughs> um, and it's like, yeah, that's that's the hero story. Um, so in some ways, I kind of like that it was like, "Hey, girl, the fact that you like changed Spock fundamentally—that's messed up." Yes. 100%. I mean, she was also, uh, and now I make her less predatory than the other one because, like, she was also under the influence of the pollen thing. Because, like, that seemed to be a thing where they were, like, part of the pollen thing was to make them all, it was, like, to make everyone else pollinated. I guess what I'm trying to think of, and I don't know if I know the answer to this question, is what was what was the goal of the writers when they were doing this episode? Like, what were they saying? Because I don't know that yeah. I, I feel like it was a, hey, informed consent is important episode. You know, like, I don't yeah, know no, that no. that was the, the theme that they were going for. Yeah, I doubt it. <laughs> it's cool that that theme actually does kind of come through. But yeah. so then my question then remains... Like, okay, but why? And so then what was the goal of why make Spock horny? What do we get out of that? It was almost like, I feel like it was almost more of like a take on, they were like, oh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers was good. And it's like, how how do you show that Spock is not acting like himself? Have him smile. Yeah, that's the thing. And then, but going more on to other episodes, obviously we have the Ponfar episode, Mm -hmm. which I do do love uh, Amok Time. Because it is just kind of like, oh no, I'm horny. <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like the thing of like when I do get aroused, I'm like, this isn't right. This is like body, we don't do this. I don't have time like, for this. <laughs> like when he has that beautiful scene where they can't just have him say that he's aroused because it's the sixties. <laughs> but he has to explain to Kirk that he's aroused. <laughs> and he just has that whole like like, uh, you know, salmon swim, they make a dangerous, you know, track along, you know, of your earth and all the different things. And then Kirk says, I'm like, oh, well, uh, you know, there's no shame in that, Mr. Spock. It happens to the birds and the bees. He goes, birds and bees are not Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I love it because I like relate so hard to just how annoyed he is. It's like it's like he's feeling arousal and he's angry about it. Yeah. <laughs> he's just like I cannot deal with how much of a 
freaking inconvenience this is. <laughs> like, <laughs> and I'm the first to admit that I really like Amok Time, if only for <laughs> the bells um, and the plomique soup. Yeah. And the, the whole episode is pure camp and honestly one of my favorite, yeah. favorite episodes. But again, I ask, like, what is... What is what are they exploring here? And it feels very much like what if yeah. Spock was horny? Yeah. And I just find it very interesting that yeah. that so many writers in the late sixties were like, okay, let's write this very proper character that doesn't feel very much emotions, but and but also let's make him horny as hell for more, not just one episode, but like multiple episodes. Like that was their guiding star, and I just I I'm amused by that. That's how you make it clear that he is acting out of character. Yeah. It's like, and I read once, and I unfortunately I can't cite the source because I don't remember exactly where, but I once read that the concept for a muck time was to kind of address the fact that unexpectedly women who were watching Star Trek really wanted to bang Spock. Like female yeah. fans were like into him and that they were like, okay, people... Give the people what they want. <laughs> yeah. You know, number one question, you know, TMZ, like, following letter in DY with cameras, like, hey, just, <laughs> um, you know, does he, does Spock bang? Does Spock bang? Yeah. <laughs> and that they were like, this is how we address it, but also do some Vulcan world building. It's the first time we see them on Vulcan. It's the first time, you know, we really see Vulcan culture. It is also specifically interesting how much they link sex with violence in that episode. Not just yes. in that episode. Th throughout TOS, that's a very common link. Yeah, but that one especially, because it's literally, you know, the trope yeah. of bang or die. Spock was so formative. <laughs> for, for <laughs> fanfic. All, all his horny tropes I have endured yeah. to, these, to this day. Of these yeah. four characters, I think the only time any of the actors have acknowledged uh, potential asexuality was Rene Auberginois, who said mm -hmm. at in Vegas, in, at Star Trek Las Vegas in 2017, that he always considered Odo asexual and wasn't quite sure what sexuality or sex really meant to Odo. Yeah. But, you know, not necessarily the others. You know what, I'll be honest, though, like, I felt like Rene felt that and I definitely felt that from his acting. Mm -hmm. Of, like, that Odo was more, like, intrigued by sexuality rather than, like, into it exactly. Yeah. One of my favorite Odo lines is, I'll never understand the human need for coupling. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> it's line. So good. But also, um, he does kind of, I felt like Renee felt that and understood the complications of, like, an alien and stuff. And I don't really feel the writers. Yeah agreed or at least we're thinking about it that way at least not all the writers depends on the writer definitely i mean it's it's similar i'm sure everyone knows you know about how like andy robinson was like garrick gay yeah <laughs> but the writers not necessarily <laughs> well specifically the producers were like well that's not gonna work but i want to uh, go on and talk about some of the other characters that, that people sometimes bring up when we talk about finding mm -hmm. ace representation in star trek and as always, when we go down anything that we call a list, I'm going to say this is not comprehensive. Uh, yeah. Just some ones that, that we have written down. And uh, my favorite recent one that I have, have heard and now adopted myself mm -hmm. is that Picard is Demi. I could see that. I could really see that. That, that fits a lot. He, he has to form that strong bond, strong emotional bond with someone. It would certainly 
add a lot more nuance to the perfect mate episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a that's a I like that episode a lot actually. I I don't know I I don't know if it's controversial or not. I've never talked to anyone, but I I do appreciate. It, to me, she's almost actually Kamala's kind of Demi in a way, because she specifically mentions choosing to bond with Picard, because she changes kind of who she is around each person, as we've established. It, and then she says, like, she chose to bond with Picard because she liked how she was the most when she was with Picard. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely some really interesting things about that episode. And I know we've talked about it before, and we probably will eventually do a full-on episode about it. I think the the part that always kind of sticks with everybody is, you know, her lack of agency overall. So it yeah. feels very much like she chooses Picard because this is like she's trying to make a choice before her choices are all taken away. Yeah, but it, it just kind of strikes me that, like, if Picard's Demi... And she chose to meet with Picard. I imagine she would also be Demi or similarly have a not very strong sex drive. Mm. Interesting. What other characters come to mind for for both of you? I feel like at this point, Billups from Lower Decks is almost canon. Like an inch from canon. Like he has not said the words, I am asexual yet. But like pretty much in every other way, they've made it clear that he is not driven by sexual attraction. The, The only question is whether or not it's celibacy. Because he's so afraid of becoming king. But I I would love for him to just... I mean, he kind of, when they were like, hey... When they like went in, they're like, hey, you don't have to become king. She's not dead. Like he And, and so he hadn't had sex. He was like almost like, thank God! <laughs> you know? What's really funny is I saw some people saying, oh, they undid it in, in this season. When he's down on that planet and uh, Ransom says like don't go becoming a king down there, right? And his response is, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'll have time. People are saying, well, he didn't reject it because he said, I don't think I'll have time. So so they undid what they did to him, for him. And I was like, I don't th- I don't see that at all, especially as someone- Seems like it's a joke. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially as someone whose sexual identity for like 15 years was, I don't have time. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think it's more like he's just kind of like, yeah- well, don't, don't worry. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about everything else that I could be doing. Like, I would, I would yeah. rather, like, he's literally saying how excited he is about things that aren't sex. Like, I won't have time. So I'm, I'm totally on board with Billups for sure. Yeah, I, I'm into the idea of Billups. I would like them to give us a confirmation. Yeah, I feel yeah, like he's so- the closest thing we have to a canon A soundtrack. I agree. I agree. That that is not an android. <laughs> yeah yeah it's nice to have like just a human i mean that was the thing about like just gay representation they had allegory mm-hmm. the longest time and then for stamets and Colbert to not only be gay and have it explicitly stated but like the fact that they're human so it's not even like well they're aliens it's like no um so it'd be nice to have billups a human who's just straight up like hey not into it sticking with lower decks though i also a lot of people interpret Tendi as ace and i'm on board for that as well mm. especially i really enjoy where the the i'm not that kind of orion scenes but there's one in particular mm. when uh somebody brings up the pheromones and her response is we don't all have those <laughs> or i'm not even that kind of orion and i just yeah i that makes it more 
I guess, of a, a biological slash anatomical hormone pheromone situation. But it's still yeah. like, I find it funny, I guess. Yeah, I, 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 my one thing is like whether or not they're trying to have Tendi and Rutherford get together. Yeah, there's definitely a scene where he like admits to being into her, but she seems totally oblivious. He says to Badgie, like, sorry, I was just trying to impress her. She's so cute. Yeah. I also like the Strange New Worlds version of T'Pring. I really like the reading of her as Arrow. As aromantic, yeah. I mean, even in TOS, she's kind of like, she, she's just kind of like, hey, this. it's like, why did you do it for logic? She wasn't even like, yeah, it's because I, I like was in love with this guy. She's just like, he was useful. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I kind of love to bring. For, like from TOS, I love her. I'm just like, damn, cold-blooded. <laughs> <laughs> like she's brilliant and strange new worlds to bring is very interesting i will say i don't love that they were just like the first time we see to bring and spock together they're immediately gonna like bang i was kind of like oh i almost liked the idea that vulcan straight up did not do that unless it was bonfire <laughs> yeah I, th- I think though that dc fontana had established that that they, yeah. they can and do yeah mate i guess outside of bonfire <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I like the idea of T'Pring as Aero. I think it works a lot. But I guess that depends because we just met the, the next guy she ends up with. I forget his Stan. name. We met him. Stan, yes. We we met. <laughs> oh, hey, what's up, Stan? <laughs> uh, Stan. <laughs> we, uh, we just met him in like one of the latest episodes of Strange New Worlds. He literally just says like, hey, you've got a call. And she's like, yeah. thank you, Stan. Yeah. So we might learn more about their relationship and there might be some more romance to it, but I love the idea of her being a row. So I also put the question out on Twitter a couple days ago and I got answers that included Guinan and Kes and Icheb and Ortegas hmm. and a tweet from Annika who wrote, uh, I first identified herself as asexual panromantic and then said, I would love Una and or La'an to be the rep I see in my head cannons. Mm-hmm. I'm also the person who doesn't want Kayla Detmer to get more storylines so I can keep her too. I prefer these three that I made up in my head to a Data or a Odo or any Vulcan. And interestingly, another response from Brother Nature on Twitter said, I feel most most comfortable with Vulcan characters as they don't really express sexuality, though they will sometimes express romance. I would really love one day to see a male pairing on Vulcan and for Vulcan society, Vulcan society to be utterly indifferent to it. So I just, I found it really interesting as we're talking about everybody's experience is different that we have one person saying, I'm sick of having Vulcans, and someone else saying, I feel most comfortable with Vulcans. I would just love to see two male Vulcans just doing the hand-holding that Spock's parents did, mm. that Amanda and, and Sarah did in original series, where they had their two fingers out, and then they were touching each other's fingers, and that's how they walked, and it also was kind of implied that that was how they kissed, where like Sarah would hold up the two fingers and she would... I would love to see, like, just even if it was just in the background. I know I'm, I'm, I, we deserve better than just background representation, but I would like that to just see, like, oh, look at that couple holding hand in hand. 
I'd also love Spock was like, oh my god, they're being so shameless. <laughs> like about like a couple that just like touches hands. Like I've always loved the idea of him uh seeing his parents do that and he's just like, oh my god, mom, dad. <laughs> I, I like knowing that Vulcans are not big on PDA as someone who's just like, I don't need to know the level of people's sex drive in public. <laughs> Kind of thing. Um, I mean, we saw that in Strange New Worlds where they kiss and then immediately a waiter's like, leave. <laughs> it's just kind of like, Kim, would you mind doing that elsewhere? The Vulcan equivalent of get a room. <laughs> yeah, like even though like they cl- like clearly a proposal just happened. Because like it's right there. They're just like, go, just get out of here. You know, I personally like Vulcans potentially as like some ace representation, but I do totally understand the like, hey, I, I'd rather have these, like, human headcanons because, let's be real, as much as it's great to have these alien rep- this alien representation, it's, it's nice to just be like, look, this is a thing and it's normal and people. Yeah, and I think the, the other thing about Vulcans is, like, you run into the trope of, like, the reason that they're asexual is because they're repressed. Mm-hmm. And they're repressing their, their emotions. Because one thing I've always liked about Vulcans is the the lore on them is not that they don't feel feelings. It's that they feel them so strongly that they feel like they have to repress them. Yeah. So if if you run into, like, making Vulcans, like, genuinely as a species ace or aromantic, I think mm-hmm. that, would be, that would be my worry there. Yeah. Which is also, like the another TOS episode where they were like make Spock horny is the one where they go back in time to like the ice age mm, and yeah. uh he's <laughs> there's a woman who's not wearing enough clothing for the ice age <laughs> but you know it looks good on her and immediately he's just kind of like I have emotions and one of those emotions is wanting to bang this lady. <laughs> and uh and then McCoy's like what were Vulcans like back at this time period because it seems like he devolved which is it's it's interesting because it's like wait was the like logic philosophy did the logic philosophy where they repress their emotions did that get like wired into their DNA or something it's wild. Apparently, it only came about in Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, so it's got wild repercussions um, for like, wait a minute, he's literally, just because they went back in time, he's changing? I mean, they did establish in that episode that if you go back in time without being prepped the right way, your like, body's going to do weird things and you'll die. Right. So, but yeah, one of his first things is that he wants to, he wants to bang. And then when they're back into their their modern time, McCoy's like, hey, I'm sorry. I know you were, like, in love with that lady. And now, like, she's gone. And Spock's like, she's been dead for hundreds of years. I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) And, again, like, such a great, brutal, cold-blooded line. (laughs) But he's, like, immediately he's back to being logical is kind of the thing. Yeah. Which, like you said, I would worry that it would be presented as, like, oh, yeah, the he's ace because he doesn't have emotions mm-hmm. versus ace people have emotions. They're just not interested in sex. And similarly, when we've got our, our android or our cyborg, when we've got Data and Seven, mm-hmm. they are 
trying their their whole character arc is like being more human and figuring out what it is to be to like live a fulfilled life and the message that's given is that having a a sexual and romantic relationship is and feeling these things is part of what's required for that yeah i'm gonna go out on a limb and say that star trek's ace representation isn't the awesomest no so as we come to the end, what would good representation look like? What are you looking for? I think what I would love would be, you know, even just a throwaway scene where someone kind of says like, get a bar and is like, hey, or like even an Orion being like, hey, you know, it's just get, and the person just being like, oh, sorry, I'm ace. I would love it to just be stated explicitly. Yeah. I, I think it would just be nice for the, a person to just say, like, I'm ace and have it just kind of go. And then, you know, maybe if they explained what asexuality is, I would love it for them to be explaining it to an alien culture. Because I'd like to believe that, like, humanity understands it at this point and it's accepted. Mm-hmm. So I'd love, like, if a character was like, what? Or, like, you know, if he was, like, they're on, like, a planet and someone's you know being like oh and we have all kinds of pleasures for you please take a partner and you know they'll join you in the bedchamber the person's like i they thank you very much i'm not interested and then it's like oh but we have you know same sex partners as well and it's like no i i'm not interested in either it's and then the person's just like i don't understand (laughs) You know, someone with like a thing on their nose to make clear that they're an alien and just be like, oh. (laughs) Yeah, I don't necessarily need somebody to use the word that we use currently to say I'm asexual Mm -hmm. or I'm aromantic or or any of the other identities under the umbrella. Right. But even just stating it in the the explanation way. Oh, sorry, I don't – I'm not interested in in sex or I don't don't feel – sexual attraction or i'm not really into romance just like saying it plainly about themselves you know and like whenever we talk about representation it would be great if ace identifying people were some of those people writing these characters hey i studied i studied screenwriting just so (laughs) to hire me i'm here i'm there i'm ready i think it is also important or would have been incredibly important for me as a kid to have seen characters living meaningful fulfilled lives without relationships in the picture yeah having just someone who's older you know they're not married maybe and and there's no mention of their you know oh well when my husband died i just couldn't remarry or like or just like they're just like yeah i live independently and that's cool Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is all with the understanding that no one character is ever going to represent all experiences in the A-Spec umbrella. Just like with any other any other time we talk about representation, no one character is going to do it and no one character should be expected to do it. Absolutely. And, you know, and representation matters on you know, twofold. I think it's it'd be one thing to have a character who is ace, but it could also be another thing to have characters who are not ace just mention it, especially in, again, they get to explain cultural things all the time to aliens. Just having, like, Pike or someone be like, well, you know, the, what about people who don't feel sexual attraction? Just, like, as a throwaway line or, or something like that. Just, like, him acknowledging that that's a thing. Like, imagine if there was a an asexual, like, bridge officer 
during the naked time or the naked now. (laughs) Problem solved. (laughs) Maybe that should be the reading of uh, Riley from TOS. (laughs) A lot of people were getting horny and doing crazy things. And he, I'll get, I get like Riley sometimes when I, when I'm really drunk, I want to just like lock myself in a room and sing. (laughs) I think that was great. I, I mean, I think that for for me, and any representation would be step forward, mm-hmm. like any explicit yeah. represent, representation. So I don't really have any anything on my wish list, I guess, except for um, it to exist. I think that's yeah. fair. It would just be nice. I think we have used up all of our time for today. Anna, if people want to uh, follow you or find out more about what you do or Lambda Quadrant, where can they find you on the internet? Yeah, so uh, you find Lambda Quadrant at Lambda Quadrant over across all socials, Twitter, uh, Twitch, YouTube, uh, Facebook, the whole shebang. We've been streaming once a month lately doing game nights, sometimes talks about different queer identities and things happening in the Trek uh, universe and fandom. So please check us out. Um, You can also follow me personally on Twitter at Anna underscore M underscore Kelly. I mostly post when I'm angry at something in the news or about queer Trek things. There's really not a lot in between. Um, And I'm uh, thinking about streaming some video games soon on Twitch. And that'll be the way to hear about it if you want to see me play video games badly and, and scream. Awesome. And Andy? Yeah, easiest place to find me is Twitter at First Time Trek. And I'm Sue. You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com, email us at crew at womenatwarp.com, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at womenatwarp. We will also have uh, some links in the show notes of this episode to additional articles and YouTube uh, videos and resources about asexuality in general, the ace spectrum in general, and asexuality in media and Star Trek. So thanks so much for listening. 